Welcome to the Patient Flow Podcast powered by Teletracking. On today's episode, disasters. Whether from wildfires, hurricanes, and tornadoes, to flu outbreaks and mass shootings, disasters are unfortunately a part of life. During these difficult times, the benefits of a centralized approach to care are essential and demonstrate the importance of planning and regular disaster drills. On this episode, we begin a disaster readiness series, hearing from health professionals who put these disaster drills into practice. They recently told their stories at Teletracking's Telecon 19. In this four-part series, we begin with Sandra Gonzalez, Trauma Program Director, and Arturo Villalobos, Administrator on Duty, both from UMC El Paso. The two tell us how the disaster of the El Paso shootings unfolded in their command centers. Let's listen in. My name is Arturo Villalobos. I am an AOD with Administrator on Duty at University Medical Center, which was working bed accommodations on the day of the tragedy. So my role was to make sure that everyone got to where they were supposed to get, uh, make sure, keep you track of the beds and the patients. With teletracking uh, was was great, uh, excellent uh, tool to use. Is right before the tragedy, we had our bet meeting at nine o'clock that morning, so we were able to identify the projected discharges where we had opened the beds. At that time, we only had five open beds in our facility right before the tragedy. The teletracking also was a great tool to use as far as communication. Uh, through that, I was able to get to the charge nurses and direct them where they needed to go, as well as uh, keeping them up to date on uh, what was going on with the event and where uh, they were needed. Uh, so we did use, uh, utilize the teletracking greatly for not only moving of the beds, but communication as well uh, the day of the tragedy. Where we are located, uh, everybody knows Juarez, Mexico is, you know, just across the street, literally, practically. For the last decade, it had been the most deadliest city because of the drug cartels and everything else. So when we hear, you know, active shooters and everything, it was always kept on the other side of the river. So El Paso is very safe. And when we'd heard about all these shootings going around the United States, you you know, you need to prepare. And, and so we had some drills. We had had one in October of 2018 in collaboration with the FBI and the multiple law enforcement. And the scenario was an active shooter at the airport. And so we wanted to test our system. And learning from others' experiences, the other trauma centers, they get a lot of patients that not only come in through the ambulance, but also private vehicles. I started making up patients that were just walking in just to make sure we had enough, you know, blood bank, blood products, and, and making sure, you know, we captured all the patients, getting them into the system and such. Then we had a tabletop exercise in March with an active shooter and learned, you know, opportunities with our communication. We had just implemented a HIPAA bridge. I don't know if you are familiar with that, just to get the physicians involved in that whole network of communication. Um, So when the event actually happened, first alert came at about uh, 10.53, and it was just an active shooter with the address, uh, unknown number of victims. And so, you know, once in a while we hear about active shooters, So, um, you know, you go through the phases of the shock and denial. Then, you know, our trauma medical director texts the CEO and myself that this was real and we still didn't know the exact number of patients. The fire chief um, from the scene 
and I promised myself I wasn't going to cry. Uh, the fire chief got to the scene and radioed in our um, ED charge nurse and said that there were at least 10 victims. So within three minutes of that radio call, we got, received our first patient as a walk-in, and he was escorted by an off-duty police officer. Three minutes later, another level one activation, just another level one activation. So within the first uh, 11 minutes, we received uh, six patients, um, pediatric and adult. Then 11.23 is when we decided to activate the HICS with its hospital incident command. And with events with an active shooter, we know from the scene police, it's usually over, you know, pretty um, rapidly within, you know, five minutes or so. So we didn't know... Um, how many exact number of patients. We didn't know if there were multiple shooters. So Hicks was activated. We have 30 minutes to respond. By the time we got to the hospital, we had already received uh, 14 patients um, by 11.36. So there was a huge um, surge. And five of them, six, excuse me, needed to go urgently to the operating room. During this time frame, uh, my battery (laughs) power (coughs) went from... 85% down to about 30% because it was just nonstop, the communication. So arriving to the hospital, there was security at all the hospital doors. We didn't think that we were um, necessarily in danger, but we need to traffic control. We had a golf cart with security just offering rides to people to the emergency department. So get up to the Hicks command, and uh, we had a debriefing. Again, didn't know if there were other shooters involved because the rumors start. And we have the social media. We had our first debriefing, and we knew how many patients were in the operating room, how many patients were having to go to the ICU. Arturo here, very key role. He was uh, one of the administrators on duty that really facilitated our ability to keep track of these patients on where they were going from the ED to the OR to the ICU or up onto the floor. Also patients that were getting, um, just walking in through the ED. All in all, we received 14 patients, 10 by ambulance and four uh, walk-ins. We had a next debriefing at about one o'clock. Surgeons came up and at that time we had a more definitive list of the patients that came in. About a quarter till three, the Physicians were coming to me. I uh, ended up serving as incident command, not by choice. (laughs) They were just emotionally drained. We had the news up on in the Hicks area, and, you know, it was difficult to concentrate on what was happening, the true events, because of the nonsense, the noise of the news uh, that was going on and then social media so really having to focus on what resources do we have available, what do we need next, and how do we recover if another surge of patients happen to come into our hospital. And so we essentially deactivated Hicks quarter after three and had our press conference at four o'clock. We're definitely lessons learned with the amount of news media that came in, and it was just amazing to see the uh, donations that we received. By 4 o'clock, we had Chick-fil-A, pizza, <laughs> Mexican food. Just People were just coming in and, and offering food for us. And just to touch a little bit on what Sandra said, as far as, <clears throat> as I said earlier, we only had five beds at that time, right before the incident. Uh, at time of uh, when the patients were already coming out of OR, it was amazing to see how many beds had opened up 
And I know through all these sessions, we talk about getting discharges out by 11 o'clock. Does it never happen? So we start getting so many beds available. When we had our after uh, meeting, charge nurses actually brought to us that patients were voluntarily wanting to leave because they heard about the situation. So not only were patients, you know, we heard about the community helping that externally, but even internally, the community was wanting, you know, said, I don't need this bed. Give it to someone who does need it. So we were able to have so many available beds. So everyone that came out of the OR and the ER that day did not have to wait for a bed. Everyone was ready to move and assigned a bed within within minutes. And then to touch as far as on the uh, the preparedness, I know we do drills most of the time. You've probably all gone through it. People don't take it serious. I think it's a game. On that day, it was so impressive to see everyone come through. We had transporters doing housekeeping. We had charge nurses all going down to ER, uh, helping with IVs and whatever it was necessary, and other ones stepping up to do the charge nurse role. So it was just uh, awesome to see the whole uh, hospital come together and the community. You're listening to the Patient Flow Podcast, powered by Teletracking. We'll continue this conversation about disaster readiness in our next episode.